Hey there, just a really quick note before we get to the conversation with George Mumford. I recorded this conversation prior to the death of George Floyd and the subsequent protests. And for me, that would change everything and it should change everything. And it certainly would change how I'd have this conversation with George Mumford. We do talk about grieving loss and coping with change, but I think that we can all agree this has shifted the earth on its axis. I just wanted to note that and say at the top of this episode that wherever you are in the world and however this has affected you, however you're involved and whatever you're going through right now, you're not alone. We're with you. And in the weeks to come, I'll be announcing plans for how Irishman Abroad is going to do its part in initiating the change that needs to happen. I meditate every day. It's like having an anchor. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Practice, man. I mean, how silly is that? See, because he's an intimidating personality. Like, everybody this, is this kissing his nuts. butt. Everybody's kissing his butt the whole time, but I come at him. People always tell me he's handsome. He's not handsome. It is important for a superstar. The team reflects their personality. Give it to him! Give it to him! Boom! Shaka-laka! Michael Jordan punched Steve Kerr in the face during a practice, it's right? It's gonna be MJ. He's got that hand. He had these incredible hands. Those hands were, you know, billion-dollar hands. Did you know you were actually this good? No. <laughs> From the Irishman Abroad Podcast Network, this is an Irishman Abroad Inside Basketball with me, Jarlath Regan, the George Mumford episode. If you don't already know George Mumford, let me quickly explain. George Mumford is the author of an incredible book called The Mindful Athlete. He is a mindfulness coach, and in the book he explains how mindfulness, meditation, presence and flow can produce great sporting excellence and sporting performance. It's a truly extraordinary read and I urge everybody to read it. He's worked with everybody. The best athletes this world has to offer, including of course Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal and countless others on a one-to-one basis helping them to use mindfulness and meditation to achieve their best on the court. And today, of course, it's cool to talk about mindfulness, presence, consciousness and flow in sports. But for a very long time, George Mumford couldn't use that language for fear of spooking these players who reversed the idea of kind of hippy dippy baloney. Anything that was out of the ordinary was weird and not useful and potentially embarrassing to players at the time. I mean, these conservatives, the conservative ideas about the length of their shorts. And George understood that because he himself was a former player. He attended University of Massachusetts and was about to join the team as a walk-on while rooming with Hall of Famer Julius Irving when he suffered an awful series of ankle injuries that would produce him having to leave the game and an addiction to pain medication and ultimately an addiction to heroin that would leave him in an awful position and it was only through meditation and mindfulness that he found his way out of that and it's only through that that he met this man Dr. John Kabat-Zinn and together they created a stress relief program for people in the inner cities and inmates in a similar situation to George and was way way ahead of its time and something that he spent years and years doing and then came the call from Phil Jackson, who wanted to translate his belief in mindfulness and meditation to his players on the 1993 Chicago Bulls team. You'll know in 1993 that team lost Michael Jordan to his first retirement. 
And as Phil explains in his books, Phil, Phil Jackson, <laughs> explains in his books that team had lost everything. They did completely rudderless, completely lost as to who they were and what their identity was. George Mumford, through his one mind, one breath mantra and teachings on mindfulness, helped to bring that team together to achieve way, way above the expectations that any basketball experts at the time had for them. And thanks to our previous guest and friend of the show, Roland Lazenby, I had the chance to sit with George and talk about this very unique journey that he's had inside the game of basketball, from helping MJ to become a more compassionate leader, something not really covered in the last dance, to showing Kobe that mentally the best way to score was to try not to score. This is the George Mumford episode of An Irishman Abroad Inside Basketball, our chosen charity partner, very fittingly, is Jigsaw.ie, a charity really focused on the minds and the youth of today in Ireland and the challenges they're facing. If you know anyone at the moment who is suffering or struggling or a parent who needs help, Jigsaw.ie is the place to go to see their range of programs and webinars to help young people with their mental health during this really difficult time. Check it out. They're the chosen charity partner of our podcast network, Jigsaw.ie. But for now, sit back, relax, do what you got to do, but enjoy the George Mumford episode of An Irishman Abroad Inside Basketball. George Mumford, it is a pleasure to have you on Irishman Inside Basketball. And I thought maybe the best place to start is what it feels like now that mindfulness is so accepted and understood and I guess prized by teams and businesses as building mental strength and all of these words are in our vernacular when you know that when you started doing this, that if anything, you were advised a lot of the time, try not to use that kind of language because it'll scare people off. Yes. So five years ago, when my book, The Mindful Athlete, came out, Secrets to Go Performance, it was March of 2015, I realized that my experience, what it felt like, it felt like I had been in the proverbial closet for the last 30 years. <laughs> and that now it was okay for me to come out and share and just, you know, not have to edit everything I say, mm. not to use words like spirituality or, or even mindfulness in a way. So it feels great. It feels like the rest of the world is catching up where I was 30 years ago. That must have been um, tough. Like, I, I'd imagine that, that like, the self-editing of any sort in, in a person's mind when you can't be your truth. And I think the closet is a really good analogy because of how much uh, somebody who's gay feels they can't be themselves. This is such a, a fundamental part of who George Mumford is that there must have been a certain amount of... I guess, cognitive dissonance and upset within you that you couldn't actually speak your truth in the way you wanted to. Well, it's interesting because I didn't see myself at the time as being in the closet. I saw myself as just, there's a legend over here we call the Johnny Appleseed legend. I don't know if you have it in that country, but Johnny Appleseed was this character that would go around and about the countryside just tossing apple seeds 
all over and, and, and keep keep it moving. So the idea was that that's what I was doing. Whoever was open to hearing what I had to say, I would say it. And I actually, I took, I was up for the challenge. So I was able to, to say it in a language that wouldn't be so threatening. And it was just the folks that wanted to work with me were the ones that I work with. So everything was by word of mouth. And, and so in my mind, I was just happy to be able to do what I did. Hmm. And because I changed the whole language and I used a language that people could relate to or having, you know, been an athlete and having worked in the corporate environment for 16 years. So it didn't really matter. It was just a matter of me being able to go in and offer what I had. So people like Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant used to refer to me as a secret weapon. And I didn't do interviews. I did one interview back in 93 when I first started working with the Chicago Bulls. And the woman that was interviewing me, she she said his only claim to fame is he was Dr. J's roommate. And <laughs> that was the last interview I did. <laughs> that was that. I mean, that uh, that obviously, as you mentioned, that job with the Bulls and the impact you had there is obviously something that is in the news now and is something that you're quizzed on all the time. But the parallel that I saw in it in terms of your own life is massive because to me, the Bulls were in mourning at that time. They lost their figurehead. They'd lost the father figure of the family. And you provided this mindfulness to help them through that when the mindfulness that you came to learn helped you through initially your own grieving process. Can you talk to us a little bit about the grief of having the game of basketball taken away from you and how you weren't prepared for the loss and tried to numb the loss? Yes. So like it's like going back where in 2020, it's like in the last dance, you have that timeline that goes all the way back mm. to 1971, I want to say. Mm. When I got injured, and I guess it was 1970, my, my freshman, sophomore year, I got injured playing pickup with, with the varsity team because I had planned on going, work going out for the team as a walk-on. And at that time, Julius Irving was my roommate. And so one of the players on the team undercut me. You know, you've seen the flag mm. fouls. Well, that's what they did. I was uh, maybe, I was 5'11", 100 and maybe 40, 50 pounds, maybe not even that big. And so I ended up injuring my ankle and that pretty much ended my career. So I was probably an introvert, quiet, let my game talk for me. So I didn't have a voice after that and I lost myself. And so that's when I really got, and of course being injured, I I was uh, taking um, pain medication and, and other all sorts of things. And then, then the um, chains were off and I just, started you know trying to um self-anesthetize myself yeah with with the drugs uh and then illegal drugs and alcohol and it took me years to, to figure that out but yeah not having that that having that that venue that ex self-expression taken away from me i didn't know who i was so i struggled for years until i got into recovery i was able to finish college and working in the corporate environment because i had a very much uh schizophrenic lifestyle I was 
I would say Joe College during the day, and I use the word I won't use the word cool and gang, but I was hanging out with the with the night people mm. <laughs> uh, at night, and you know doing all the crazy stuff. So it split personality. So I, I kept I was able to keep that double life for a while until almost thirty six years ago, July thirtieth. 1984 is when I got into detox and even then I came out when I got out of detox I realized I had chronic pain obviously the chronic pain I had before so I had to learn how to use another means of pain management and learning about my whole mind-body process so I got into um, it was back at the time it was a program and the HMR I was in called managing stress so I learned how to meditate you know, and got access to tai chi and, and yoga but also mainly what i got was an attitude of self-reliance and an attitude of having being being responsible for my own happiness my own health self-care health care and that's when i learned about meditation and and at that time in the program they gave us a syllabus of all these books that would be good to read and I read every book on that syllabus and then I would go to those books and at the back of the books whatever the recommended readings were I did that so let's say over the last 35 years and 10 months I've averaged over a book a week so I got into that then I found myself working just fast forwarding I found myself working at the Center for Mindfulness at the time it was called the Stress Reduction and Relaxation Program so when I went to work with the Bulls in October 93 uh, I was still working in the stress reduction clinic in the Department of Preventive and Behavioral Medicine at UMass Medical Center. So it was easy for me to just go in and talk about stress reduction and mm. talk about the idea of a crisis having two meanings. One meaning is danger. The other meaning is opportunity. So I was able to offer them a way forward to embrace. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's the same now where I do a lot of talks, a lot of Zoom sessions with folks, and I have a YouTube series that I, I do a post every Thursday. And the question is, how can we hold the hurt and generate the hope? That's exactly what I wanted to go to, because, you know, what you've, you've said a mouthful there in terms of what you've described in, in terms of going through detox and realizing, okay, I've got chronic pain now, and I can't actually take anything for it or it will knock me off this clean route that I'm on. So meditation and mindfulness become and self-reliance become the prescription, if you will. But for a lot of people, that's where the contradiction and the difficulty or the stumbling block lies with this stuff, right? That they go, oh, well, I don't. I don't actually want to be in the moment because the moment is too painful, right? That that it's like uh, they've heard the talk, they've listened to the, the the phrases over and over, but it hasn't it hasn't gripped them in the way that you've just described. That it is their view of it is that if they were to reflect and actually be present in the pain, that they may not be able to get out of it. I'd imagine that that's one of the pushbacks that you've received time and time again over the years. And the best description I've heard you use to bring people around is this uh, Cherokee tale 
of the two wolves. Is that the one that you use, first of all? Is that the, your go-to for that kind of a sceptic? Or is there another way that people can understand this? Maybe explain what, yes. what I'm talking about here. Yeah, so if I use my own ex example, when I was in college, people offered me all of those. Those I was in college, so I had access to meditation, to studying Tai Chi and, and yoga. But I said, man, get out of here with that lame stuff, man. Just give me a brew. I'm straight. <laughs> right. It wasn't until I got to what I what I call the AOF method of motivation, which is excuse my because uh, we're on the air. I won't use the word uh, the, the ASS on fire. Yeah, you know, I think you're OK to use fire. that. Yes. So a sense of urgency. So that, so there's two things. The interesting thing, what you just talked about is what prevents us from. It's really about the assumption of personal responsibility. And what prevents us from doing that? Let me put it this way. So so we don't want to be in the moment because we're in the moment. Then we got to take responsibility for for what's happening. Mm. So or our part so in it. Me, yeah. So for me, once I realized that I had to be in partnership with my doctors, with my healthcare providers, then that meant that I had to learn about myself. I had to go inside and learn how not only how the mind body works, but how my mind body works. And so when, when, when I talk about the two wolves, what that is saying is it's acknowledging the fact that we have two wolves inside of us. We have seeds for fear, seeds for love. I'll just uh, uh, break it that way, keep it that simple. Love, uh, fear, and love. And corresponding with fear and love is the nervous system. Being in, uh, If we're in fear, we're in fight, flight, freeze. We're in the... Um, uh, sympathetic nervous system where we're, we're, we're either going to fight, we're going to flee, or we're going to freeze. And so the challenge is, which wolf are we going to feed? You know, I was thinking about this today. You heard the saying, the unexamined life is not worth living. Mm. Well, the other side of that is the examined life is for sure worth living, and it's worth living greatly, uh, fully, creatively depending on how much you want to invest in yourself yeah. so so it's it's about the feed so through word thought indeed from moment to moment we are feeding one of those wolves and so in this in the story the grandfather tells the grandson that there's a this tremendous war battle going on inside of him between these two wolves one wolf is fear the other one is love and the grandson very concerned says, grandfather, which one will win? And he says, the, the one I feed. Hmm. So look at life, people, places, and things as opportunities to get to take responsibility and to decide which wolf are you feeding through word, thought, and deed, action. Those three things, those are the domains. That's how, that's how we interact with ourselves and others. So we are either creating more love or creating more fear. And of course, if you're creating the opposite of fear, you're talking about hate and, you know, uh, hostility and neglect or indifference or whatever you want to, you want to call it. So, so yeah, so it's the realization that we are, we've been wired for either success or failure. And it all depends on our lifestyle and our attitude and what we focus on, what we, what goals we set for ourselves, 
what thoughts we allow to occupy our minds, which is going to determine who we become and where we go. Yeah, so, so basically the, the description there, and I think a lot of Irish people will relate to this, is that some people actually believe that if I feed the fear wolf, that is what gets me over the line in terms of my exams or... You know, Roy Keane, like probably the greatest Irish football player of all time, talked about fail to prepare, prepare to fail. And, it, mm-hmm. it you know, it's a fear driven mantra uh, mm-hmm. that I should be afraid of the prospect of loss. And that's what should drive my preparation is the very real possibility that without it, I will fail. Whereas you're saying that there's another, there's actually a much more positive way to view this. And I, again, I don't imagine that you're walking into NBA locker rooms and in 1993, certainly able to, uh, y- you know, wax lyrical about the two, the two wolves. You're essentially selling when you walk in there, correct me if I'm wrong, the thing that all players, no matter how unspiritual they regard themselves, they still agree upon the zone, which yes. is probably the most spiritual and uh, unquantifiable anti-science type of experience that anyone can ever have. Am I right in saying that that yes. that's, that's what you leaned yes. into each time? Yes, yes. So, so the best way <laughs> to get somebody to do something is to motivations one is 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 fear or like you said fear the other one is love or or going for the gusto going for excellence pursuing excellence attempting or getting on a path where you can have more experiences of being in flow or in the zone where it's very spiritual the whole idea that you get into this space where you your self-consciousness is going and time just flies and things are happening as if you're not there. So that's a very spiritual. And mm. when we see it, 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 it pulls us. And when we experience it, it pulls us. But the paradox is the more you try to do it, the less you'll be able to. So it's a paradox. It's like, like happiness. Happiness can't be pursued. It, it, it ensues. And so it, it comes down to this understanding. What are the conditions in which this zone experience expresses itself so it happens just so happens mindfulness or the whole process of mindfulness the way i talk about it or meditation it makes you zone ready right so so capable of getting to flow yeah but what was it you called it flow ready flow ready you still need information intellect and the direct experience what what i call wisdom in my book superpowers the insight or wisdom Thing. So you need mindfulness and wisdom working together. So you have to know what to be mindful of. And you have to know what are the essentials, what are the basic fundamentals of what it is you're doing. And you also have to have clarity in terms of your goal, as well as clarity in terms of the immediate feedback you are getting. And to be able to, in real time, make these adjustments or adaptations to things as they are. And then when you're able to do that, uh, so there's triggers for the, for, for the zone. One trigger is clear goals. Second trigger is immediate feedback. And that immediate feedback is the adjusting and being with what is. And then, and then the third thing has to be the ratio between the challenges, like saying the vertical axis is cha- uh, challenges and the horizontal axis is 
skills, knowledge, experience. So you have to be on this path of continual process improvement. But also, you can see in the last dance, you have to keep challenging yourself so that you're not in board. You know, we spend most of our time between boredom and anxiety. Anxiety is when we have high challenges and low skills or knowledge and experience. And boredom is when we have high skills, knowledge, experience and low challenges. So that that ratio has to be high. That you mm. have to be high so that you go from anxiety into the high state of arousal. And of course, with with the effort and the concentration or the poise and the effort or the persistence, what I call diligence or effort, having this steady, enthusiastic, balanced energy. And then you have poise being in the moment and having that concentration where you have the poise and, and the effort balance so that you push through and so you move from anxiety into high state of arousal into flow. So let me stop you there, George, because you've said in the past, because it's like I could listen to this all day, but I do think that, you know, for a portion of the audience, this is going to be new. Right. So let's pull, let's stop there and maybe bring it in terms of, uh, you know, specifics, because you say and have said a bunch of times on this whole Kobe versus MJ thing that the thing they had in common, their biggest similarity was both their commitment to success and their commitment to deliberate practice. And that's a phrase that you coined, deliberate practice. And to me, as I put this question to you, and hopefully you'll explain what you mean by deliberate practice, let me add to the question, is it true to say that one of the things that separates Kobe, Tiger, Michael Phelps, or any elite, elite athlete is the ability to get in the zone within deliberate practice? Yes. So the simple answer is yes. It's their ability to be present and to say yes to whatever's happening and to flow with that, to be like water. So, yes, the answer is yes, but there's a commitment to excellence and there's a work ethic. And there's also this idea of being present. So you can't have so much anxiety that you can't be in the moment and just be with things as they are. So. So, yes. So to answer your question, yes. But to have the deliberate practice, you got to know yourself. You got to know who, who I am and, and what do I need to work on and what are the. And so deliberate practice is about doing an assessment reflection on, okay, what can I work on that will have an immediate impact on my performance? Mm. And so, so then whatever that is, it, it's the three, three part process of learning, practicing, and then your performance and experience you get in that either it's moment to moment or over the long haul, short term and long term, what your result is going to tell you is what you need to learn and practice. And so when you get loads of focus on yourself, knowing yourself and knowing how to play to your strengths, then that's going to determine what your deliberate practice is. And the deliberate practice is taking one aspect of your practice and mastering that with the repetition, error correction, and the continue. So you go through the process and it doesn't happen overnight. It could take a long yeah. time. Well, but that's that's the thing. That's like to me, George, this thing that you hit upon here, it's the aspect of the Gladwellian 10,000 hours that people forget or like that's still in the Malcolm Gladwell book is that like it isn't about 10,000 hours of any old practice. It's actually 
deliberate practice and that's right perfect practice that yes. makes perfect right yes yes that's absolutely right and you don't do it alone you have to have you mm. notice you have to have a support system you have to have coaches and mentors and family members that, that will mm. that will encourage you to do what you do but to hold you accountable and don't let you off the hook you have to take responsibility that that assumption of personal responsibility, that's a very existential approach that we are responsible and we make choices. And so this whole process creates space between stimulus and response. And in that space, we have the freedom and power to choose. But the choosing is, like you said, choosing deliberate practice, choosing to spend your time honing your craft rather than being engaged in social activities or other things that are not in alignment with or might even take you away from mm. your goal. So you find a lot of people and a lot of us get sidetracked if we have chronic illnesses, it comes down to lifestyle. And so so it's like a lifestyle choice to make choices that if the underlying choices that we make can actually reverse the illness or the, the challenges or the problems we are facing that makes any sense. It does. And it leads me to my next question, which I guess is in, it's actually in the foreword of your book, which, again, I, I'm going to make people's ears bleed with the amount I recommend this book. But I've, I've, I've probably sold you a lot of copies of this book in Ireland. <laughs> Let's just say that. Right. And uh, not that you yeah. needed the help. Uh, but in the foreword, if people know the book, they'll know that Phil Jackson says in the foreword that Part of what he did with you was helping you to understand the attention span of the pro player. Can you tell us mm -hmm. what he meant by that and how hard that was to work with? Yes. So what it's basically saying, we didn't have uh, we weren't into the social media back then as we are now. But it's it's like getting people to be able to focus for an extended period of time. So it's helping them to expand William James, the father of psychology in this, in this part of the country anyway, and this part of the world. He said that volitional effort is the effort of attention. And so what he was getting at is that we can decide, we can choose to hold something in mind longer than it would ordinarily stay in mind with conscious effort of sustaining our attention. And so teaching them how to expand the attention span so that it expands beyond the norm. So some of us might might pay attention for milliseconds or maybe two or three seconds. And we, we have to expand that ability to stay in the moment, to not forget the present moment and not to forget what we're doing now. So that we so having to expand the attention span so that you're able to, to keep in mind or direct your attention and sustain your attention on the one thing that you're doing in the here and now. So so NBA players would, like you say, today, I'd imagine the attention spans even lower, right? Because of, you know, the effect of these technologies, the scrolling nature of culture and how quickly things are served now. There was a lot more books in dressing rooms then. Not only the, the Phil Jackson dressing rooms, people read more. They read for mm -hmm. longer. They sat, mm -hmm. they were expected to wait for things a lot longer. But I'd still imagine that you got blowback. I mean, there was certain people that I'm sure took the opportunity 
uh, when George Mumford was there to have a nice little nap for themselves rather than to engage in the process of conscious meditation. My question is, what does the day to day look like when you're working with the bulls in 1993? Like, how does it fit in with the process? Well, right now, to be honest with you, it's a lot easier because there's a lot of knowledge and, and scientific evidence of how powerful the process of just taking two minutes to just watch your observe your breathing it totally changes your your brain mm. so it's very different now whereas i feel like it's catching up so what it is it's about people wanting and and they know and one reason they know is because they like to play video games and they like to do other things and they they know about flow so there's not it's not the same there's some people who are really focused who are working on their craft so i'd say it's very different but we have the digital echo is what they call it mm. with all this stuff in social media and everything once again it, it comes down to what are you ingesting physically mentally emotionally spiritually we know if we eat certain foods so we got that down we understand that diet is very important most of us do anyway especially athletes so you have to have a high-protein and low-fat diet or whatever, however you want to call it, but depending on your body type and that sort of thing. But we know that what we eat has a consequence. What we haven't quite gotten is what we ingest and mentally, what we pay attention to, where, where we put our bodies, that, that has an impact. So I'd say now the question is, because of all of the stuff that we just talked about, it's easier to get somebody's attention and say, hey, you should really look at this or you should really consider this. And the challenge is always to give them an experience of what you're talking about. So once they get a taste of it, then they'll figure out the rest. But here's the interesting thing. I find, and people used to say this all the time, they used to look at me and say, oh, George, you should work with that one. He needs, he needs it. <laughs> Or she needs it. And what I say to them is, it's not for those who need it, it's for those who want it. Yeah. So They have so, to come. So, they have to come to the place. Yeah. yeah. So my intention is not to try to convince anybody anything. I'll just share what my experience is, and you decide. You decide whether you want more or not. And so I pay my dues with people who poor it. And there's some people, there was one player on the, on the Lakers back in 2000, uh, and he talked about on on a podcast about how back in those days, you know, they weren't, you know, they they go through it because of the team process. But the, the, there's a bunch of folks who probably didn't believe in it or just did it, or like you said, they just kind of tuned out. But at some point, you realize that it becomes contagious mm. and you become one breath, one mind. But the thing is, it was years later, five years later or so where he had an anxiety attack. And then everything that I was teaching him came back and he re realized how important it is. So some people, it might take four, five years before they really get, oh, this yeah. stuff works. Because here's what happens when you do it, you are learning, even if you have resistance to it, is what they call implicit or non-declarative learning. You are learning something and... And it's, you know, and it'll come back to you and you realize, oh, it's just like my dad. I don't know about you, <laughs> yeah. but the older I get, the wiser my dad gets. The wiser gets. my dad gets, yeah. And it also makes me think of uh, my mom and dad saying, it's going in. It's going in. Even though it yeah. doesn't look like it is, it is yeah, going in. so we're picking things up. And that's the thing we have to understand. We could be around energy and it's getting in, even though we don't know it's getting in. And just by being in that space, you have the opportunity once again 
just like the wolf, you can be open and be a learner, or you can be closed and just be in survival mode and just trying to hold on, trying to keep the status quo rather than realizing life is an adventure and to be open to new things. I mean, that's how I got clean. They call it the how of the program, which is honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness to see things, to, to pursue support, and to really take ownership by how I'm being, who I am, and, and to get in touch with my uniqueness because you got to be yourself. So a big part of this is in that high performance, you can only be yourself, and you have to be yourself in the moment, but you got to know who you are so you can be who you are, so you can express who you are, so you can share who you are. So it's that process of beginning within, and it's an inside job, inside out. And so once people get that and understand it, and for me, I had to see how badly I was experiencing life, or the, the pain, is the pain was motivated for me. And then now the pain's not motivating me, what's motivating me is the joy of discovery. Well, that's, so there's a transformation that can happen, but it's like I talk about the the elevator theory for recovery. You don't have to go all the way down to rock bottom. You can get off at any floor. And it's the same same with this practice. You don't have to be suffering so badly that you have no choice. You can decide, well, I'm not really suffering at all, but I, won't, I know that there's another level of experience for me, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, or collectively, not only just in basketball, but I can live my life in flow. Wow. So real quick, while I have you there, let me just say that we've got tons of other episodes for you to enjoy. Hundreds, in fact. I've been making podcasts since 2013, interviewing Irish people who've gone abroad and made a life for themselves, conquered their fields of endeavour from sports to music to film, TV, comedy, you name it. I've interviewed them all and you can hear everything for the price of a pint. Go to patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad and you'll get access to everything we've ever produced. Hundreds of episodes unavailable anywhere else with people like Sir Bob Geldof, um, Sir Terry Wogan, Sharon Horgan, Dara O'Brien, Dylan Moran and just hundreds of others. You'll also get access, early access to future episodes of Irishman Inside Basketball and extended cuts of the interviews, so much bigger interviews than the ones you're hearing right here. It would also Im- immensely help me continue to produce these. We can't do them for free. Even though they are free, we've got to support the network and keep it going. And this is how we do it, through the support of people like you who enjoy the show. So if you can, head over to patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad and sign up for premium. Uh, aside from that, as I said, our chosen charity partner is Jigsaw.ie. I didn't say it at the top, but I'll say it now. The place to go to kick in something for them and help them continue to provide the support that they do to young people across communities in Ireland is Jigsaw.ie forward slash now. I won't delay it. Let's get back to this chat with George Mumford. I mean, George, there's there's a lot there, right? There's an awful lot. And this is why I recommend people pick up the book, because, it's, it, you know, it's a lot to consume what you're saying there and there's so there's so many questions that I want to ask but maybe the one that springs to mind immediately in terms of what you say about being yourself and becoming centered in who you are and comfortable with the person you are and at home with that 
and being present in that first <laughs> to allow everything else to follow. In the case of MJ, you, you said that Michael Jordan, the help you gave him was in three things. First was explaining to him why he could do things differently and better than others. And secondly, to explain to him how to get to the next level. And the third was that he believes you saved his life through changing his leadership style in that one. And that one's heavily covered in The Last Dance. And one that absolutely fascinated most people was that he understood that actually coming to terms with how other people are not like him was essential to him being a better leader, to actually meeting people where they are rather than getting super angry that they weren't where he was. So tell me the difference there, because in some ways he had to roll back who he was and who he'd become as a leader and kind of rebuild what his leadership could be towards being more empathetic and kind. Yes. So we model what we we, we end up doing what we learn, we know to do what's been modeled for us, the old style mm -hmm. of teaching, of interacting. And there wasn't a lot of social and emotional intelligence involved in that. It was really more of, you know, in your face and <laughs> confrontation. And sometimes you have to confront people to wake them up or to shake them up so that they're out of their dream-like state. So I would say this about the last dance. It's been really good. And they could have really explained or expressed more of his transformation, which I don't think they definitely it was implicit. They didn't really explicitly show how his leadership style transforms and, and that everybody's leadership style has to transform because the whole idea of mindfulness is being with things as they are now. Mm. And so what gets in the way, good to great, the, uh, the good gets in the way of the great because it's good and it's good enough and we stay with it until it doesn't work. And so you can look at this as problem solving and you want to know yourself. You want to know how, how do you do things that help you to be a lead. And if you know them, you understand that, then you can sustain it and you could do more deliberate practice, if you will. And if you understand that as good as things are, there's another level. There's always another level because it's unlimited how far we can pursue or, or grow as individuals. So you know that, and then change your leadership style. It's just like in the game. If you're, if you're, you got to take what the defense gives you. So if they're closing out on you, you up fake and go by them. And if they're playing off of you, you jab step and you shoot. So it's always about mindfulness of reading and responding in a way in that space between stimulus and response, choosing whatever your choice is, is in alignment with your values and your goals. And so, yeah, so being able to share share with him but he had a seat that it wasn't working so that's the first <laughs> yeah, thing exactly without the denial, you're punching steve kerr uh, in the face it's not working yeah so yeah so without the denial and blaming or justification you know or you know we blame and deny and when you do those two things if the, the biggest step is accepting responsibility for your behavior then once you accept responsibility, then you can do something about it. Yeah. So it's not just awareness, it's accepting it. Mm. And so once you do that, then you're open. But the thing, the amazing thing about him and most uh, uh, the great athletes or great people or 
people who play at a high level is their coachability, their teachability, their willingness to listen and be open to doing things differently. Mm. So, so look, George, I'm, I'm right now in lockdown playing more basketball with my nine-year-old son than I've ever played before. And it is incredible to see the improvement day mm-hmm. on day. And I'll be honest, George, I'm probably telling him things and saying things like you say that it feels like at times it's not going in. And my hope is that it is going in. But the other day I spoke to him because, you know, like any child, he has difficulty controlling his emotions when the stimulus is negative, when the, the turnover takes place or the rebound bounces over his head just because he's not the same height as me. Frustration rises and anger comes and the analogy i borrowed from you was to be the center of the storm to be the eye of that the game itself is a bit of a whirlwind but you can be the center of the storm i don't know if it went in right but it must have been incredible for you in 1998 to essentially witness the last shot and then later kind of watch watch it actually take place in its in its highest form like you we can nearly see the stillness when he slows the ball down on Byron Russell and feel that he is in that gap that you talk about between stimulus and response response talk to me about how heartening it was for you to then receive the credit for it for for Michael Jordan to open up and say well you know, I have to give credit where it's due. I mean, I was presented with these teachings and I've been doing this for the last five years. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, that's the interesting thing because I got interviewed for the last dance, but they didn't use any of the material. So once again, I think because of, well, this 500 hours and they interviewed at least 60 people. I was one of the 60. Mm-hmm. So it didn't get in. But I think... W- what you saw in MJ and I had cameos in there every once in a while. You see me on the box mm-hmm. or me um, there. But just listening to the languaging and language he used, you realize that yes, that's it. And I think that's one of the things that that he got was that maybe if if he had found me in the beginning of his career, his career would have probably been different in the sense that he would have had more peace and. It probably his career would have lasted longer because mm. he didn't know about the mental, even though he knew about it, it went to a whole new level. And when your mental goes to a whole new level, that changes everything. So I kind of lost the question. Yeah, the question I mean, again. the question, like you've answered it. I mean, it it must have been incredibly heartening for you to, to realize that it did go in. Yeah. So here's the thing. There's a part of me that likes being acknowledged and like saying yeah but it really isn't me mm. it's not really me it's me just sharing what i know yeah and it's and it's wisdom it's, it doesn't no one can own it but at the same time it's nice to know that you had an impact on mm. people's lives and so i would tell you being there uh, behind the bench and the thing that you can watch on tv that you won't get you won't get steve kerr alluded to it but you won't get what it felt like to be in the hostile environment mm. when all of those folks are making all this noise and they could feel the victory with 41 seconds left. And when, when Michael doubled back around, this is being in the zone and being in flow. But at the same time, 
you're thinking about your your mentally what mindfulness does it it, it shows it's mirror mind it shows you what's there and then it files it in the background and then when the next time comes mindfulness says okay so instead of going about here's an opportunity so you see the opportunity and you take it and once he got it and he's coming down the floor he understands that calling the timeout will give them a chance to set their defense so he he looks over at phil and they have this nonverbal. so phil says yeah go go ahead when you've been with somebody that long you don't have to you can just give a look and you know because you're thinking the same way and he comes down and when he made that shot with five seconds ago it was like somebody punctured a balloon all the energy in the place went poof it totally transformed and there was a silent now you gotta understand these folks were so hostile <laughs> that we were sitting because we we didn't have room behind the bench because i think some of the arenas they sell that space so we had to sit up two rows from the bench and when we were sitting up two rows from the bench they had to put security sitting next to us facing the crowd that's how that's how hostile it was and so to see all of that hostility just get sucked away it was like all of a sudden the, the fair wolf was gone and the love wolf was there so it was awe it was like they were silent they couldn't believe what just happened but they knew it was spiritual and even though they were on the other end of it it was they got caught up in the spiritual nature of it because they just sounds they just saw experienced something truly amazing this is what sports can do and then you know you, they just knew okay th this is done and then they had a shot but but we were able to defend and so it was a real spiritual i say mm -hmm. it was more spiritual uh happening than anything and it was profound i can't capture in words what that felt like but they had awe. Oh, so instead of them continuing to scream and do everything, it totally transformed their energy, their mindset. I mean, the whole arena. You know, it is like it is hard to put into words these things, and I think that's why you know there, there was a need for a ten-hour series to uh, articulate what that moment felt like and to end in that way. And there is, you know, there's, you've you've been on hand to witness incredible things in sports, right? And when Phil brings you to the Lakers, the most incredible thing in sports at the time is Kobe. He's he's on another plane and obviously he is now considered the closest thing to Michael that we'll ever see. And he has kind of had in his final years and opened up about exactly how much he wanted to be like Mike. My question is, had he sought you out? Because if he's actually trying to adopt and sponge everything he can from the greatest who ever played, surely you were a part of that that he would have known about and tried to get hold of. Yes, no, that's that's the fascinating thing. When I think of the people I've worked with, the ones that are probably were into this more than than the others would be Michael and Kobe. So for a long time, I've been saying to people because I had the privilege of working with both of them and also the privilege of rooming with Dr. J in college. So you might say he was pre-Michael, pre-Kobe. Mm. So I've had that experience of being around greatness and, and, and that sort of thing. So it was really, so yeah, he and I, yeah, he remembered everything I taught him. So back when I was, it was interesting, I'm sitting at the same desk I was sitting at in January 2015, and I get a call, 
and it's from Kobe. And he says, I want you to come out and hang out a couple of days and, and we'll just hang out and talk. And so, because he wanted to, but he was looking towards his career after basketball and he wanted to train the elite of the elite. So he wanted me to come because, you know, I'm, you know, my, one of one of the three guys that he that he learned a lot, and then I, I I didn't realize until later that he had been been mentored by Kobe. I mean by uh, MJ. So I went and hung out with him. I actually been on a helicopter with him, flying to to LA, and the picture of me and him walking through Staples Center, and I have on a, a, a sweater instead of a suit because when he called me out there, I was just going to hang out. And- <laughs> And Newport Beach, I had no interest in going to the Staples Center, Center and, and being around because, you know, I didn't work with the team. Mm. And it was, you know, new coach and that sort of thing. But he encouraged me to go to the game with him. And uh, I had no idea that he actually took a helicopter from Newport Beach to one of the buildings in L.A. And then from there, we'd take a limo into the facility. So that's the first time I had been in that facility in maybe 13 years. Yeah. So... I walked through and, and one of the photographers took a picture and put it on Instagram and one of my young guys texted it to me or, or the, the picture. But, but yeah, so we would talk about it and he remembered everything that I taught him. He has a, he has an amazing mind. And cause I remember when he was a rookie, when my first year there, I said to him, it was during the game. I don't know. I think it was a regular season game. And I said, Kobe, the best way to score is not to try to score. Yeah, so I've heard you say this, right? Let's let's stop here because I really think this is important even for anyone doing anything, right? So if you're a comedian like I am and you go out on stage and you're trying to get laughs, it's actually the worst way. <laughs> the desperation yes. of it, impe- right. you get in your own way. That's essentially what you were saying to him, right? Yes, what I'm saying is it's really simple. When you start really understanding yourself and understanding how the universe works, you form the intention and then you allow things to happen. Right. Because just by trying to make things happen, you might be limiting yourself to how much you score. And now you get to a point where you're focused on how you're doing and not focused on what you're doing. Hmm. So my my teaching to him was just let the game just let it just just form the intention and let go. And you'll score more than you, you think you can score by not limiting yourself and let the opportunities come to you that way you're not forcing things and that's wrong effort when you're trying too hard or you're trying to force things instead of going with the flow of how things are and that's what being in the zone and flow is all about is you're not doing anything you're just going with the current the current is taking you downstream and you're just flowing with it and then when you get to the place you want to go then you can ease over to the side to to, to get out Mm. or or to, to make your choice and so, yeah, so it was a very easy teaching, but he got it. I didn't have to explain it to him. That's all I said was the best way to score is not to try to score. Wow. He got it. He, he certainly got it. I mean, that's an 81-point <laughs> game that, uh, you know, people will bring up. And obviously that seems like the obvious thing to ask you about is the 81-point game and that crazy run that he went on. And how, you know, actually in that game you can kind of witness how he isn't imposing himself and that, these points weren't coming out of as much as they were turnarounds. They weren't everybody clear out. Let me 
let me do this. But I think the more interesting question to ask, George, is about a moment that I regard as one of the funniest and greatest NBA moments I've ever witnessed. Uh, true NBA fans that are listening to this will know the one that I'm about to bring up because I guess it, it crosses the two worlds of my life, which are Chris Rock <laughs> sitting next to Kobe, uh, drinking from a you know one of those giant uh, soda drinks, and essentially trying to put Kobe off or get in his face or in his head during a timeout. You take a look, Chris Rock sitting right next to Kobe Bryant, shooting the breeze, funniest man in the world, telling jokes, and take a look at Kobe Bryant. I don't even hear you. I'm on a mission. And I'm not knocking everybody else because if I was Kobe Bryant sitting there, I would have said something to Chris Rock. Matter of fact, coaches, players, everybody would have said something. This guy is a different breed. He's on a mission. And that's why he is challenging the all-time great. It stood out at the time because one, Kobe doesn't flinch, is completely zeroed in and ignoring Chris Rock. An incredibly hard thing to do with one of the greatest entertainers of the world cracking wise next to you <laughs> outside of just being in a game. What I didn't realize and I now realize is that he was in a meditative state in that moment on the bench. First of all, when you saw that, what did you think? Second of all, is that something you encouraged guys to do to actually meditate while in the course of the game? Yes. It's the practice of mindfulness or, or being present is a 24-7 endeavor. So from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed, go to sleep, we can be aware of being in our body and do, and, and being, being not forgetting the present moment, staying locked in and not letting distractions, whether they're internal or external, affect us. And so there's times when you lock in and and there's other time you have like tunnel vision and he's just locked in because he's 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 preparing for the next thing. But he's also just being in touch with just knowing. So I'll put it this way. He was in the eye of the hurricane. Mm. So when you're in the eye of the hurricane, the winds don't affect you. It's blue sky and you can actually you might even hear them. But you don't remember what I talked about. Uh, volitional attention is it. Uh, volitional effort is the effort of attention. So you consciously stay locked on the task at hand and you don't let anything in. You allow him to be the sound, but you don't have to say, hey, man, don't bother me or anything. You just let it be there. And you just focus on being in your body and, and being in that eye of the hurricane and you sustain that 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 attention. So, yes, yeah, so I, you see it. That's what happens. But that doesn't happen without all of that deliberate practice mm. this he's been engaged in for for decades, for decades. Not just the mindfulness, but just just the repetition and being focused and really committing to his sport and being a one mind just being really locked in and not letting being able to direct your attention and sustain it that's what you saw ability to just stay locked in and that is just feeling your body breathing looking ahead and just staying in that eye of the hurricane. Well, it does bring me to, you know, something that a lot of people are dealing with right now and that you obviously had to deal with with Kobe's passing. And that is grief and how how we manage being centered and present in grief, in loss, in acceptance uh, without 
plummeting downwards. I mean, there's plenty of people that others would say are too are too present in their grief to the point where it envelops them and won't release them. What do you say to all of that? And how did you cope with the death of Kobe Bryant? Yes. So we talk about mindfulness, but there's right mindfulness and then there's wrong mindfulness. Okay. So mindfulness is, so being mindful of the fact that there's a couple of things, things are impermanent. Things are always changing. And we kind of know that, but we kind of don't know that. You know, we get old, we get sick, we die. It happens. And so it's not something happens. Then we get to choose how we interpret it. So what was interesting, I, I know where I was. I was um, at a, I was working with this particular college and and I was there to do a series of lectures. And and so I went to a basketball game that afternoon. And I'm sitting in the stands and I get a text from TMZ saying that Kobe passed, you know, in a, a helicopter. And I was thought it was a bad joke. It was really hard because you know, obviously Kobe and I were, were close, so that this is very meaningful. And then a week later, one of my friends in high school passes away, and then a week after that, my sister passed away. Oh. So I was dealing with all of that grief. But you go through the stages of of denial, bargaining, anger, depression, and acceptance. And so for me, what I was able to do is just be, being in that eye of a hurricane, I could just see things and relate to it in a way where, you know, there was hurt. So this is what we go through now, how to hold the hurt and be acknowledging what I'm feeling, but not getting in the story about it and, and, and just feeling whatever I'm feeling. And at the same time, generating the hope. How can I look at this in a way that, that brings me peace? So with Kobe's passing, uh, one of the things that, well, first of all, when it happened, I got I got two calls from my two of my sisters because they knew how close we were and they wanted to make sure I was okay. So I had a lot of family support, but at the same time, I was able to just being in the eye of the hurricane. I could I I realized that all of these years of practicing for me mm. has created this this possibility for me to be at peace no matter what happens. I mean, George, I can't imagine. It. I'm so sorry for your losses. I mean. That will hopefully give an awful lot of people hope, uh, what you say there, that this does have application to that. And like you say, I do I do think that that's not talked about enough, the idea of good mindfulness and wrong-headed mindfulness. Mm-hmm. I mean, that there's those are good ways of referring to it because there's an awful lot of worse ways. I mean, the Irish term would be wallowing or navel-gazing. Yeah, and yeah. You know, that uh, that kind of feeds into my final question, which is something that you have said you struggled with and I struggle with. And I think anyone who has high goals or ambitions for themselves will tend towards and that is negative self-talk. Uh, <laughs> what is it you call it? Stinking thinking. I think you referred <laughs> to it, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, a great way of deflating that balloon. But it is a problem, right? And it's it's often a problem in a situation like lockdown where there isn't a whole load of ways of changing your state or getting out of the this negative cycle of stinking thinking, of bad self-talk. What would your advice be to somebody listening to this now who's who's regularly struggling with that, that they, they, they speak negatively of themselves on a regular basis and it seems to be a pattern? So 
one of the teachings of listeners, this guy's name is Neville Goddard, and he has one of his books is Immortal Man. And in the book, he says that man has two gifts from God. One gift is mind and the other one is speech. And so our mind is a reflection of God or whatever we call the universal higher power. And our speech is a reflection of mind. So if you want to change the self-talk, you can, it's like anything else. Like I said, instead of focusing on what you don't want, you can change your focus to something you you want, but it's so strong and such a habit pattern that it's there. And if you can just see that it's a negative self-talk and what the consequences of that will be, you can really see that on a deep level, then that's helpful. So sometimes being able to get out of it is helpful. Sometimes just having the mindfulness to just notice the tenor is negative. And so we can try to change the actual conversation we're having. We could do that, or we could just change our mindset. And how would, so, how do you propose they do that? By focusing on what you want and focusing on the fact that uh, life is giving you a, so having to learn uh, a growth mindset is, okay, so there's something for me to learn here. So what is this? So we're so busy saying it shouldn't have happened and we don't like this. Kind of reminds me of when I first got in recovery, I heard a priest say he went in a room to be alone and all his enemies were there. Um, so we have to understand that, that those wolves, which wolf are we feeding? Hmm. And so we get identified with that, those thoughts and their reflection of mind. But if we realize that we have to change our mind, it's like, and you can change your mind very easily by just changing your mindset or changing your belief system or changing how you, and something happens, you interpret it in a way like, oh, this should not be happening. This is awful. And how do I get rid of it? Instead of saying, okay, what happened is ha happening because the conditions are right for it to happen. So there's awareness, there's acceptance of it. I don't like it, but it's here. But once I accept it, I can do something about it. So we're not even acknowledging that we're identified with that negative thinking because it's so embedded that it's a limbic imprint. So it's just there. It happens without our, without our permission. So how do we reverse it? We have to decondition, unlearn, and just realize that, okay, all we have to do is say, oh, the mind's in a negative mindset. How do I make it positive? Mm. And so you breathe, you feel it, and whatever the feeling is on the bare sensation, you just feel it. You don't have to be in the because you got to get out of the story about it. Because as long as you're in the story of it, you get lost. Yeah. So that's the one thing is just notice. Okay, so just focusing on your breath, focusing on your body, breathing in, breathing out, and feeling it, and then you can decide to just let go and then redirect your attention to something else. And if that doesn't work, you can just focus on. Okay, so when when that so the self-talk is negative. It's anger. It's fear. It's in the it's fear base. And how does it feel in my body? You know, I have to get intimate with this fear. And there's a lesson here for me to learn. So life, life is going to keep giving me these lessons until I learn them. So what do I need to learn? And what do I need to let go of? So I have this three-part thing I talk about as notice, relax, let go. And of course, it's going to be challenging to do it. But if you don't practice it, and if you can practice it when it's not so intense, so you program yourself to just be able to see things, whether they're intense or not intense, just as they are, and then notice that it's not that thing, it's your relationship to it. So we know there's people who have intrusive thoughts. It's not the amount of intrusive thoughts that 
that determines the ease and the, and the peace they can have. It's their knowing that they can control those thoughts. And you can control them by not giving energy to them and not identifying with them. Just notice their thoughts, like background music in a restaurant, although we're not in restaurants right now <laughs> so much. But, but background music, just like background music in a, a restaurant. We could be at a party, and it could be real noisy, and somebody starts talking about us, and we're able to notice that and, and tune into that. Mm. What's up with that? And tune out the other noise, yeah. Yes. So, you, so it's the same thing. So we have to learn how to say, okay, I accept it. It's there, but I don't, I'm not trying to hear you. So I call it the negative committee. It's like, okay, that's a negative committee. I know where this is going. Time out. Let's focus on what I can do. And when I choose my response or I choose my attitude, Victor Frankl says that when you change, when you find meaning in suffering, it ceases to be suffering. So you say, okay, so these thoughts are happening because the conditions are right for them to happen. And it's a reflection of my mind. So how do I change my mind? How do I change my mindset? So you got to be in love instead of being in fear. And then you have to focus on, okay, so time out. I'm going to set this aside. and I'm going to focus on what I'm grateful for and focus on the fact that I'm a masterpiece. God doesn't make junk or I have a divine spark, uh, Buddha nature, Christ consciousness, the, whatever it is, uh, Kuan Yin energy. And we realize that we have to train the mind to become our best friend. So we have to learn. This is what we're going to talk about in Right Effort in, in my book. So you, so if it's anger, then you do the opposite, bring love, or you reflect on the consequences of that mindset, of that self-talk. That self-talk is, is telling you how you're seeing things and what your mindset is, is a reflection of mine. So you you can change it. You can change your mind, even though it might be challenging. But you have to develop that skill of just being in a moment and being able to let go. This is right effort. Just letting go of unwholesome thoughts, feelings, behaviors. And the way you let go of them, so if it's anger or frustration, loving kindness, compassion, generosity, sometimes the best way to get out of it is try to serve somebody or help somebody else. You get what I'm saying? I do. That makes sense? I do. So there's do. a lot we can do. We don't have a lot of time, but just suffice it to say, and I talk about it in my book, The Mind for Athletes, Secrets of Pure Performance, when I talk about dealing with unwholesome thoughts and how to abandon them. And then the other thing is, is when you focus on creating love or gratitude or, oh, this is, this is an opportunity for me to learn, you can bring that enthusiasm and, oh, this would be great. I'm going to learn something about myself. This is going to take me to the next level. Those thoughts totally changes the energy. You know, George, I I know that you've been a help to so many people. And I mean, it must run into the hundreds, the athletes, the business people, the uh, individuals along the way that you've helped out of difficult times or even just to reach their best performance. But who do you go to? when you're struggling or what is it that you struggle with and where do you find help or is it a case of you've found self-reliance to be the, the only way forward yeah well i have a community so i have you know teachers or friends in the tradition that i learn how to do this stuff and we call our teachers our best our friends good friends and so I have good friends. I have people. I have coach. I have people that I work with that I can go and talk to about certain things. But the but the best thing is to be still and know and to get clear about what's going on and then be open to teaching. So somebody might offer someone 
have a conversation. But for me, the best way to learn something is to teach it. Mm. And so I learn from everything. But at the same time, I have a I have a network of friends and people that I can go to and talk to about things. And then the other part is that I have the teachings and I have the I have the inner wisdom and I can be still and know and I can have access to wisdom just in that eye of the hurricane and that silence. And sometimes that wisdom tells me, go talk to so-and-so or read this book. So that's what I do. I'm always reading books and meditating and praying and really thinking about things in a way where, okay, so what's the lesson here? And then it, 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 it directs me to having conversations. I mean, obviously I can talk to Phil and, and, and other folks, but just the people that I'm mentoring and my, the people that I'm working mm-hmm. with and just having conversations like this, it reminds me, keeps me in, in why I'm here and just being in my own lane. But the other part of it is sometimes when it gets so bad, if I, I can find myself by forgetting myself and going to serve somebody else. You know, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, George. I really I feel really privileged that we've had this time and uh, I'm really grateful for the work that you've put out in the world and uh, the book itself. As again, I recommend people go and get it for whatever you're into, whatever you're involved in, you'll get something from this. Uh, so, George, good luck, stay safe and uh, hopefully our paths will cross at some point in person. Yes, well, I appreciate you, and, and, and it's interesting because I grew up in Boston, I live in Boston, so I have an affinity for the Irish tradition, and even, you know, I've been to England three times, worked with just different uh, soccer clubs or football clubs, and so it's just an affinity. Uh, maybe it's because, of you know, I grew up in the Irish Catholic neighborhood, Yeah, uh, and I have some Irish friends, I have at least one who's not Catholic, so... <laughs> They actually came from Ireland, so I get to listen to the brogue, and it's it's like music to my ears. So I think for me, it's realizing that we all are the same. We all soul to soul, we're the same, and just being able to be on this call and have some engagement with folks over there in the pond because I haven't been there in ten years, and uh, I was, you know, I'm planning to come after this coronavirus thing. I had a couple of invites to come over there to to do something so hopefully that'll work out yeah um i appreciate the opportunity to be able to share because to me it's like if i want to keep something i have to give it away and Mm. like i said before if i want to learn something i teach it so this has been amazing opportunity for me to share this journey with people and encourage people to realize that you don't have to be an athlete it's not really about being an athlete it's about being a human being and honoring your masterpiece and creating more feed the love wolf because the, the fair wolf is always going to be there but if we don't feed it it doesn't really have much of a voice what a beautiful way to end thank you so much take yes. take care of you're yourself welcome. and uh, good luck with the work with Fulham Bolton and Chelsea and hopefully Jurgen Klopp will get you up to Liverpool and you can look after my club up there uh, oh yes <laughs> yes yes so I have a, you know yeah so I have a new friend uh, I mean you know I, yeah so I, I watch Liverpool and, and I'm aware of of that sort of thing so one of these days I'd love to be able to come over there and watch a match yeah man let's do it let's do that okay George thank you so much take care of yourself all All the best Jollis thank you thank you bye bye so there you have it the George Mumford episode of an Irishman inside basketball what a gent and 
if you haven't got the book, I urge you to get it. The Mindful Athlete. It's a must read, even if you're not in sports yourself, if it's just how you perform in work in front of crowds or just in the, the day. The Mindful Athlete is a riveting read and insight even deeper under, uh, say you're interested in The Last Dance and you want to get inside these ideas that Phil Jackson instilled in the team and that notion of presence that they kept talking about with Michael Jordan. Well, there's some really great insights into how he reached these players and the one-to-one interactions he had with them. So it's the Mindful Athlete. That's my recommendation for a book to read this week. Next week, we'll talk to Kieran Donaghy, the Kerry football legend and Irish basketball player who is trying to reinvigorate the Irish league. And we'll hear his story inside basketball of how he managed to juggle the two sports at the same time and how he came to the sport as a kind of outlet for the difficulties he was having as a child. And uh, then after that, we've got an incredible interview that I recorded with Paul Cummins, a man who has set up a sports dream academy for people, young Irish players who would like to follow in the steps of Susan Morn and really explore their dream of playing college basketball in America. That's all still to come from an Irishman abroad inside basketball. My thanks to our guest today, George Mumford, to Roland Lazenby for making this interview possible. Please support our chosen charity partner, Jigsaw.ie. My thanks also to Brian Connolly for his production, to Tina and Mikey for making it all possible. And come on over, join us on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. Get access to all the interviews in their full form without ads and everything we've ever recorded. That's hundreds of episodes unavailable anywhere else. If you enjoyed this show and you want to see it continue, please do that. Patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. Take care of yourselves, lads, and I'll see you next time for another episode of Irishman Abroad Inside Basketball.